Good morning, everybody. It's a little hard for me to get up the steps. We had a pickup football game the day of Thanksgiving, and I'm still a little sore, but I made it. Uh, my question is this, who doesn't want a life that's more whole, free, powerful, loving, and full of joy? It's what we all want, isn't it? And we all know that at some level, if we're going to make any kind of change in our life, it's going to start in our mind. So today we're going to explore what it would look like to change our mind by changing our self-talk. So self-talk is something we all do all the time, and it happens inside our heads, but self-talk affects every area of our life. So here's the definition of self-talk we're using today. Um, if As you know, this is a, a huge topic. Self-talk has been uh, researched and written about, but we're going to kind of narrow it down and think of it very specifically today. So today, when you hear me say self-talk, I'm saying this. It's what we think and say to ourselves about who we are. It's whatever we think or say to ourselves about who we are. Now, self-talk is tricky to identify sometimes because it gets all mixed up with all the other things going on in our minds like your shopping list or your to-do list or what you're going to have for lunch today or how on earth Iowa State managed to lose that football game yesterday. And the problem with this all being mixed up in our minds is that our self-talk often goes unexamined. And that's not okay, because we really need to examine our self-talk. For one thing, we need to figure out if we're saying more negative things to ourselves than positive things. So in case you're not tracking with me, this is what negative self-talk could sound like inside your mind. It might sound like this. Gosh, you're such a loser. You mess everything up. I don't even know why I try. I end up making things worse than when I started. You can't do anything right. Positive self-talk, on the other hand, sounds something like this. You can do this. It's going to take some courage It's not going to be easy, but you can do it. Or it might sound like, well, that didn't go perfectly, but no one's perfect. So we really need to be aware of what's this ratio of negative to positive self-talk. We also need to be aware that negative self-talk dramatically increases when we're under stress. In fact, negative thoughts begin to pop into our heads so rapidly we don't even know that it's happening when we're under stress. And it happens to all of us. It happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was under stress because I went to Google something, like I think it was, how much money does Kershaw make pitching for the Dodgers? And I went to Google it, and Yahoo had become my search engine. We can't search anything on Yahoo. So as I was trying to get it fixed back, and it kept going back to Yahoo, I started to say these ridiculous things to myself, like, you're the worst computer person ever. Why can't you figure this out? Why do you always have to get help with things you should be able to figure out yourself? And at one point, I heard myself saying, my computer hates me. And then I was starting to Google to the Google help desk, and I was like, I cannot live if I have to use Yahoo as my search engine. It's ridiculous, but we all do it. And we all experience moments like this where self-talk just feels like it takes over our brain. And it, and it seems harmless, but this is the deal. Over time, negative self-talk just seeps into our sub subconscious, and it affects everything. It makes us anxious and depressed. It separates us from others. And most importantly, negative self-talk pushes out the truth about who God says we are. 
So that's the bad news about self-talk. It's hard to identify, it's all mixed up. Uh, under stress, it gets worse, but there's really good news. And it's why we're doing this series. We can change our minds. So here's my favorite quote about mind change. It's this, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what our minds will dwell upon. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow our minds to dwell upon. I love this quote because I think it really helps us uh, sink deeper into the piece of scripture that's washed over this five-week Change Your Mind series. And this is in Romans 12 too. And, and this is going to give some form to how we're going to think about self-talk this morning. This is Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as I was studying this passage, I began to see it as an, kind of an SOS, SOS for our minds. And I started to think, what would it look like if we became the kind of people who developed a self-talk SOS? for our minds. So that's what we're gonna really look at today is what would this look like whenever, uh, to become more aware of our self-talk and send ourselves a self-talk SOS. So this is, this is the S and the O and the S. You know I'm talking about save our ship. This is gonna be stop, observe, and shift. So when you stop, you have to notice your self-talk and then interrupt negative patterns. The observe, the O is, Observe what you're thinking and saying. What are you saying to yourself? How's it making you think, feel, and behave? Those are all really important. Think, feel, and behave. And then the last S is shift. What has to change? How can you begin to make the change now? What do you need to learn to be able to make the change? What skills are you gonna need to develop? So we're gonna develop this self-talk SOS by looking at a story about Jesus. It's found in the Bible in the book of Matthew. Um, one cool thing about this story, it's at the end of chapter three in Matthew, if you wanna turn there. Um, this is the first story we have of grown-up Jesus. So Matthew has a lot of baby Jesus. It has a little teeny bit about Jesus getting lost from his parents. And now this is the first story about grown-up Jesus. So Jesus has just been baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John, and he's coming up out of the river and something incredible happens. And this is in Matthew 3, 16 through 17. As Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Spirit of God settles on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the message that we want every person to know is that God is waiting to say these same words to you when you come before him, when you turn your face to him, when you uh, encounter and follow his son Jesus. God says to you and to me, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. With you, I am well pleased. This became Jesus' self-talk and it can become ours too. So we're gonna look now in Matthew 4, the rest of the story, and we're gonna remember that Jesus continues to go back to these words, and they have become his self-talk. You're my son, I love you. With you, I am well pleased. So immediately after his baptism, Jesus is led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, some of you are tempted to get hung up here simply by the word devil and what it triggers in your mind. And I'm just going to say SOS. Don't let it happen. Stay with me. This is a story about Jesus, and we have so much to learn about Jesus in this story. So, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, Jesus was hungry. And then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember what he just heard come from the mouth of God? Now, we don't know what Jesus was thinking here. These are the only words we have on the screen. But we're going to engage the Bible with our imaginations. We're going to imagine what could have been going on in Jesus' mind as if he was sending himself a self-talk SOS. So he would have to stop and observe. Could Jesus have said to himself something like this? The, tr- the tempter is trying to use my hunger to trick me into listening to him. Could he have said, the tempter wants me to focus all of my attention on my need, my hunger? He wants me to forget who my father says I am. Jesus, every single time he's faced with a temptation, and there are three of them in this story, he shifts back to the voice of his father. Maybe he said something like this, this is what I know is most true about me. I am God's son. He loves me. He's pleased with me. And if God is my good, good father, I don't need to meet my own needs. He will meet them. And that makes me think, thank God. Thank God that Jesus knows that human needs are incredibly powerful. Jesus was really hungry, physically hungry, 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Jesus knows that his need, in this case, his physical hunger, wanted to rule him. It wanted to tell him what to do. One of my favorite phrases is, you're not the boss of me. Just gives you a little insight into my personality. Jesus knew his hunger wanted to be the boss of him. And I think on on a lot of levels, we know what this feels like when our needs begin to feel like they overwhelm us. So how can we develop a self-talk SOS in the face of some pressing needs? We have to stop, notice, interrupt the pattern. We need to say to ourselves, okay, my needs want my attention. They want to be the boss of me, but I'm not going to let my needs drown out the voice of God, the voice of God who's telling me who I am. Now, most of us aren't physically hungry, but our unmet needs feel like hunger. Here are a few other needs that can easily begin to take over our life. Um, So for some of you, you know what it feels like to need to find meaningful work, just to get a job that's more than a job. It actually means something. Or what about those of you who have just had this desire for a life-giving relationship, someone to share your life with? Or what about that time you had a huge decision to make that felt like a life-altering decision, and you know how that can become all-consuming? And the longer it takes for us to get our needs met, the more the need can become, can start to rule us. So then we have to make some observations when we notice what's happening. And this observation might sound like this. Um, And I know this sounds like this for me. You know what, Carla? You need to make sure your needs are met. You are the only one 
who's, can, who's looking out for you. You're, you're the only one who can meet your needs. God takes care of some people, but he might not take care of you. Then we have to make a shift. What does that self-talk change, that shift sound like? How do we shift to God's words in the face of overwhelming need? That's the thing that we have to figure out. What does that look like for me? Maybe it sounds like this, I'm more than what I need. I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter, he's pleased with me, he loves me. Good parents take care of their children's needs even when they feel overwhelming. I can trust God with this need, it doesn't have to rule me. So I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to maybe actually write out the words that God's saying to me on a, on a card, stick them in your car or on your mirror. God loves you. You're his child, you're his son, you're his daughter, he's pleased with you. That's the first thing that we can learn from Jesus. So Jesus then moves on and he faces this next temptation. This is in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and he took him to stand on the highest point of the temple. This is probably 15 stories in the air. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and here the devil's using the Bible against Jesus, which is interesting. It says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus answers him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So let's look at Jesus' possible SOS here. Maybe, maybe when Jesus stopped and noticed and interrupted the pattern, maybe Jesus thought the tempter is saying, if you are the son of God again. I think he wants me to prove I'm God's son. And then I wonder as Jesus observed what was happening, if he thought something like this. It's like the tempter is saying, I know you're a big deal. And Jesus, you know you're a big deal. But here we are up on top of the temple. They don't know you're a big deal, and you need to show them that you are. You need to prove it. How else will they know? And then Jesus makes the shift. What has to change? He goes back to his father's words. You are my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Maybe Jesus thought, therefore, I don't have to prove who I am by what I do. God told me He loved me before I did or accomplished anything. Jesus hadn't done anything yet except for walk to the Jordan River to be baptized. And maybe Jesus thought to himself, I know I came to do a big thing. I came to save the world. But I'm not going to do it way up here on top of the temple. I'm going to do it down there in the midst of the people. And I think this is our learning from Jesus. How do we send a self-talk? SOS to ourselves when we're faced with this temptation to be a big deal. And we all feel this temptation. We have to notice it and interrupt it because it's one of the world's favorite patterns. Prove who you are by being a big deal. So how do we stop and observe this pattern? What does this pattern look like for you? What does it make you think, feel, or do? For some of us, it it looks like this. It's like always showing off or always boasting about our success. For others, and I think this is me, it looks like judging, comparing, or putting other people down so that we can feel good or more important. For some of you in the room, it looks like always trying to please mom and dad because then you feel worthy of love. For some of this, the negative self-talk that goes along with this need to be a big deal sounds like this. When I get passed over, or I go unnoticed, when I work really, really hard, and I don't get any praise, 
When I fail, when I'm average, I feel like a loser. So what has to change? What does it look like for you to go back to the words that God spoke over Jesus and claim them for yourself? You are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And then how do we learn to say, if God is pleased with me, I don't have to do anything to prove that I'm a big deal. Instead, I can follow Jesus off the top of the temple, down into the people that we interact with every day because Jesus did some big things. But most of what Jesus did was doing small things with great love. And that's what we can follow, and that's what we can imitate. So six weeks ago, uh, I got a brand new granddaughter. Her name's Ingrid. She's um, really squishy and juicy to hold. And, uh, but at the end of uh, my daughter's pregnancy, she was so miserable. So mom's in the room. You know what I'm talking about. Her feet were incredibly swollen. She was going to have the baby in two days. She decided to go to a nail salon in Waterloo and get a pedicure. So she, she texts me from the nail salon and says, Mom, this nail person has been massaging my legs for 30 minutes. I'm about to happy cry. It was such a meaningful text for me to get. And then about 20 minutes later, she texts me from the parking lot. She says, Mom, this woman massaged my legs for 45 minutes. So parents in the room, or people that have had an experience where someone has like reached out to one of your kids who's struggling with this incredible love, or maybe somebody's reached out to you when you're struggling, how powerful small things done with great love can be in a life. This nail technician, not a big deal in the eyes of the world. What she did was a big deal. It was a big deal to my daughter, and it was a big deal to me. So how can we integrate this following of Jesus to look like doing small things with great love? Okay. So Jesus has one more temptation. The devil, once again, this is in Matthew 4, 7 through 10, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to Jesus, all of this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, this SOF is so swift. I love it. Just like, away from me, Satan. So let's explore what could have been going on in Jesus' mind in his self-talk here. Stop, notice, interrupt. Maybe Jesus was thinking, who does this guy think he is? The devil wants to give me a bunch of worldly stuff with a side order of worship? I must feel like it's the Jesus equivalent of step off. And then he had to make some observations. How is the tempter trying to make me think, feel, and act? And I wonder if Jesus thought something like this. The tempter's trying to get me to think that he has something better to offer me than God, than God's love. Maybe he's trying to play the ultimate trick. You can have it all, and all it will cost you is your soul. No thanks. Away from me, Satan. Go away, Satan. I will worship and serve God only. And I wonder if Jesus was thinking something like this. Do you know why? Because my father said to me, you are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Therefore, Satan, I don't need all these kingdoms and all this stuff because it will never satisfy me. Then I wonder if he thought it's all mine anyway. 
Jesus said, I will worship and serve God only. I will not sell my soul for some possessions. So what does this look like for us? And I think this is the get stuff and worship it temptation. We face this temptation all the time. And the truth is, we cannot worship both God and stuff, money, and possessions. We always have to pick one. One thing that we will worship and serve. And the world hates this truth, but it doesn't make it any less true. So uh, when Sean and I were in our early marriage, and it continued for quite a while actually, we started to pile up incredible amounts of credit card debt. And we were becoming slaves to debt. We really were doing this get stuff and worship it. We needed to work the steps of the self-talk SOS. Now we didn't know what it was at the time, but for us, the stop came when we began to recognize that because of our debt, we were no longer free. We were slaves to our debt, and this actually was a form of worship. We were worshiping our credit cards. So we had to stop. We had to stop the self-talk that tried to convince us that all, everything that we were doing was okay and we could get a lot of stuff and it wouldn't cost us a part of our soul. So we had to make some observations. What was the thing, what was the, uh, how are we thinking and feeling and behaving that we're feeding in to this kind of self-talk? Well, our self-talk really revolved around, we just wanted stuff. We wanted a cute house and we wanted uh, well-dressed kids and family adventures. And the self-talk was the credit cards can make it happen. The self-talk was all we have to do is make the minimum monthly payment each month. That's kind of amazing. What a cool thing, you can buy stuff and you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to have the money. The self-talk that we can have it all now and the credit card will give it to us, does that sound familiar to you? I'll give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. So we had to make a shift. Something had to change. And the self-talk sounded like this. Gosh, I remember the conversation so well. Okay, we didn't get here overnight. We're not gonna get out of this overnight. This is gonna be a long, a long, long haul, but we can shift some things to move towards freedom. So the first shift for us was putting money in the offering plate at Orchard Hill. And I remember the conversations about this as well. We would say to ourselves and to each other, we can't give money to Orchard. We need that money to pay bills. We need that money to pay off debt. And that would have been a good thing, right? It would have been a good thing to pay off our debt. But we knew there was something deeper going on than just paying off our debt. Just paying off our debt wasn't gonna break that link between our stuff and who we worshiped. Because we were followers of Jesus at this point and we had to ask ourselves some questions. Did we want to worship and serve God only? Or did we want to worship and serve our finances? And we realized that giving money back to God was a way for us to make a decision with our actions about who we would worship and serve. And I remember the questions we asked ourselves. Does our faith have any legs? Or what we do here on Sunday morning, is that just a Sunday morning thing? Does it really matter in our real life that God loves us and we're his kids and he's pleased with us? And how can we begin to show him that we know that we're his beloved kids? And for us, it meant letting loose of some of our finances. The second shift started when we started to put cash in envelopes marked gas, groceries, clothing, entertainment, and when the cash was gone, we couldn't spend money on those categories. I know you guys are all thinking, really, you didn't know that? 
but uh, I know that we're not alone. We cut up our credit cards. We told some of our friends in our life group about our struggle. And uh, it was really powerful, and it took a long time, and we backslid some. But if there's anyone in this room this morning who can recognize yourself in my story in any way, and maybe you don't have debt, but you just have a tight grip on your finances, do something now. Make a shift. Give stuff away. Start putting money in the offering plate. Tell someone you trust. Start doing an action that can change your mind because who you worship and serve is in the balance here. So I love this story in the Bible. It's, I believe that it's in here for us. Jesus, fully God and fully human, struggled with something similar to self-talk. And the Bible describes it as a temptation in the wilderness. His story helps us think about the voices in our own heads and how we can counteract them. We can send out a self-talk SOS just like Jesus did. We can stop, observe, and shift what we think about, what we focus on. We can remember that we're God's children, just like we sang a little while ago, that he loves us and he's pleased with us. And we believe there is great power in that shift. And this is gonna be really, really hard because old patterns die hard. You're gonna have to, uh, you're not just gonna like fall into a new pattern, it's gonna take some intention. It's gonna take intentional shifts in our thoughts, feelings, and actions forever. Doing simple things over and over and over again. But do you remember how we started? Who doesn't want a life that's more whole, free, powerful, loving, and full of joy? It's what we all want. And we can change our minds and our life by changing our self-talk. We can um, pay attention to our needs so that they don't rule us by going back to God and saying, I don't understand how you meet this need, but you promise that you will. You can uh, select and dwell upon God's word in whatever way that looks for you, writing it down, memorizing scripture that says, I love you. You're my child, I'm pleased with you. You can learn to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus by doing small things with great love. And then finally, choose who you worship and serve by letting go of the things that um, want your worship. Uh, I think this series has been really powerful. It's been powerful in my life, and uh, I'm glad that it isn't easy because I think it's in the struggle that, of changing our minds that we can meet God and we can receive his love more powerfully. So will you pray with me? And then we'll continue to worship. God, thank you so much that you didn't leave us here by ourselves. Uh, but also thank you, God, that you send us into the wilderness sometimes so that we can, uh, we can struggle a little bit, we can face some stress. Would you, in those moments, God, would you reveal to us the patterns of our thinking? Would you help us to still ourselves long enough to do that? Would you help us carve some time out so that we can turn our face to you? We can lift up our face to you, God, the holy and perfect loving Father, and receive your blessing in the form of your voice that says, I love you, I'm pleased with you. And then, God, would you help us to change our minds in a way that makes love flow out of us, that helps us uh, to pay attention to the people around us, to know that love is powerful to meet a need. It's powerful uh, when people are hurting. It's powerful when people need to know that they're not alone. And God, thanks for making us your people who can bring your love and also receive your love from the people around us. 
Now would you please accept this act of worship as we continue to sing.